Good morning. Today is Wednesday, and this is the Urban Talk Radio 103.5 FM WNHH LP, where you will hear conversation, information, education, inspiration, and motivation from the American urban perspective. I am your host, Kinsley Osei, and my co-host, Chifik, 30 years ago, there wasn't no black cops. Today's, today's topic is uh, we have a Black History Month um, edition, and uh, today's topic will be on our police police brutality, prison reform, and gun violence. And we have experts out here to talk to us and um, have um, define, dissect, and discuss this issue that we have going on all over the United States of America, the greatest country in the world, as we're supposed to be known. And to tell you the truth, I'm going to tell you in black and white, we are being known as the, um, the, the, the country of gun violence. So with that being said, uh, Shafiq, what's going on, brother? Good morning. My birthday, man. That's what's going on, man. It's my birthday. Oh, happy it's my birthday. birthday. It's my birthday. Oh, shorty. It's my birthday. Go, right. It's my birthday. That's it. But you know what? It ain't even about me. It's about my it's about my parents, man. And and you know what I'm saying my parents was there for me. So I, it's really thank you day to my parents. That's what it's about, man. Parents, my grandparents, and me reminding myself to stay connected to the tradition of my ancestors, not the legacy of how my ancestors are being represented once they were stolen and brought here. It's the real legacy of who they were, where I came from, the original Mandinka tribe and the original Yoruba and Hausa tribe. So that's what it's about. And I'm just here in America trying to make it a better place. You know what I mean? Awesome. Today on Urban Talk Radio, you can join the conversation on Facebook at Bull Mice and Twitter at Bull Mice. Also on my Facebook page, Kinsley O-S-E-I. You can also stream this show on your smartphone or computer by logging on to newhavenindependent.org. If you go to newhavenindependent.org right now, all the way on the top, you see the show streaming live. And if you do miss it, it's also streaming on all platforms. Um, the last time we invited um, Reverend Gaston out here, he broke the internet. Um, he have one of the highest um, streams we've had on our Facebook himself, my sister, Vicentia Duce, and just a few others who hit over a thousand mark on our Facebook alone. And you got to understand um, that's Facebook within our community. And uh, we have friends all over the world that view this show as well. Thanks to the pandemic, we were able to um, broaden our listeners and our views. Before that, we were just stuck on FM. Now we are all over every platform. So that's a good thing. So let me introduce um, our guest. I will repeat again. Our today's topic is on police brutality, prison reform, and gun violence. Um, today we have our councilman, Ernie Newton, who is also the director of the Welcoming Center for Excellence and Career Resource. And um, I cannot mention Career Resource without giving a big shout out to my brother, my friend, Scott Wilderman, who is doing such a great job in our community, um, throughout the whole community of uh, Connecticut, period. He's a very great man, and he has some um, wonderful people that really are committed to the community that works uh, for him, with him. So I do want to give a big shout out to my brother, Scott Wilderman. And uh, Ernie Newton knows everything about uh, our today's topic, especially on prison um, reform. All right. Um, second, I'm going <laughs> to. Yo, Curly, come on, come sit right here with me. All right. Hey, Curly Z. Curly Z is also our co host. <laughs> also, um, we have um, Reverend Dr. Heron Gaston, who is now our state senator and our assistant CAO of the city of Bridgeport. He's also the senior pastor at the United Methodist Church. Um, He's like a young brother of mine. Um, I, you know, I really like this guy a lot. I think he's going to do a lot of, um, bring a lot of change into our community. We're going to talk to him more about what he's doing. Um, and then third, I will talk to our sister, Sandra Vining, or Vining, who is also the case manager at the Welcoming Center for Ex-Felons at the Career Resources. Um, he also works with um, my brother, Ernie Newton and also with uh, brother Scott Wilderman. Okay, so that is what our today's show will be based on. Uh, let your answers be uh, brief because we have three special guests and we have um, about 50 more minutes to go. And with these three topics, it's a lot 
to um to dissect. So I will give my guests um an opportunity to reintroduce themselves for everything we do need to know about them and why they are so deserving of the positions that they are in. I will start with um our senior brother Ernie Newton, who is uh, also um you know he he's he's also a big part of Black history in Connecticut. So Ernie, reintroduce yourself. Thank you. Um, um, I'm Ernie Newton. I'm the director of the Welcoming Center, which started last year around April. I'm also um, president pro tem of the city council, wore many hats. Um, big shout out to my brother. Anybody that's born in February, mine's is next week. So we, we know people should have been born in February. That's right. But let me let me say I want to thank you two brothers for having a show that talks about the issues that affect Black people. And um, you guys have done an excellent job in carrying that message, if no more, just to wake us up mm. of what's going on. Um, the Welcoming Center was started because back in the day, they used to, when you finished your time, they would just put you out on the street. And you had to fit for yourself. And we've seen them. They had the khaki pants on or their, um, the, whatever you call those things that they would give you to put you out. Now they bring them to us. Um, in a short period of time, we've helped over hundreds of people. Um, and we have very good success rates. You know, when you think about it, we try to put the plan together to turn their lives around. If you take a you take a CEO, he wants a plan to make his business work. If you take carpenters or plumbers, they want to be successful in making things work. So what we do, we meet them right where they are. With the help of Sandy and Aguado, we've helped over hundreds of people. And I'm talking about people who have served 27 years in prison. So when they come out, they come out to a new world because the corner they used to stand on might not be the same when they were there. And I can just say this, our success rate is mind-boggling. Out of the hundreds of people we've seen, four people have gone back in. We find housing, we find jobs. And um, it's been a great experience, man, to meet people right where they are and to help them with whatever they need, college, education, job training, college. We, we meet them where they are. And um, it's been very good. And um, just thank you for having me on the show. Definitely. Um, next up, um, I will allow my brother, uh, Reverend Dr. Heron Gaston, to reintroduce himself. Um, good morning, everybody, and thank you so very much for having me, and shout out to you, uh, Kingsley, for always doing the work and uh, magnifying the issues uh, plaguing uh, the Black community. I appreciate you. Uh, happy birthday uh, to you, Shafiq, uh, and many blessings to you. Thank you. Um, in the I'm 25. I'm 25. Appreciate you for telling me that. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Uh, and also uh, to um, my brother, Ernest Newton, uh, who is here, Councilman. Uh, thank you so much for joining and for your uh, continued work in the struggle. Uh, my name is uh, Heron Gaston. I uh, have the privilege of serving as the Assistant Chief Administrative Officer for the City of Bridgeport. Uh, I also uh, serve as the um, Senator for the 23rd Senatorial District, encompassing portions of Bridgeport and Stratford, um, as well as uh, being the pastor of the Summerfield United Methodist Church here in Bridgeport. Uh, prior to uh, coming to Bridgeport, I uh, have always sort of my life project has been working around the prison industrial complex uh, and mass incarceration. Um, not to uh, be braggadocious, but a couple of years ago, um, I was one of the leading voices around criminal justice reform in the United States um, while being a student uh, at Yale University. And many of my writings around uh, mass incarceration and prison industrial complex uh, captured the attention of um, uh, Michelle Alexander, who wrote the book, The New Jim Crow uh, in the Age of Colorblindness. And um, she and I have worked together on a couple of pieces as well uh, to address this concern and issue. Uh, but to backtrack a bit, uh, prior to uh, even moving to the state of Connecticut, 
uh, well over 15 years ago. Uh, I worked in the uh, Florida uh, legislature as uh, a legislative analyst uh, for several uh, politicians there, including Congresswoman Frederica Wilson uh, and uh, Congressman Charlie Chris, who was therefore the, the governor at the time. Uh, and I was um, brought on to work uh, at the Florida Department of Corrections as a um, uh, reentry uh, director for the uh, 67 different counties in the state of Florida, helping returning citizens reintegrate back in society. At that time, uh, it was very difficult for returning citizens to even uh, get an ID. And so we were able to help remove that barrier. So they were able to get IDs, birth certificates, et cetera, so they can start kind of rebuilding their lives once they got on the outside. So it's been uh, a major uh, life work of mine. I continued that work as I um, uh, moved on to go do my studies at Yale University. And I continue to be passionate around this subject matter because I see all too often uh, the ease with which uh, people who look like me and you, you know, fall under the crushing yoke of injustice uh, by our criminal justice or criminal legal system, I like to call it. Uh, and we have to do a much better job of really understanding the complexity of the issues and ways in which we can help uh, move our communities along and breaking uh, the back of uh, this racist systemic institution uh, that it has its uh, foot on our necks uh, for generations. And I think that if we could um, really help empower um, our people, uh, uh, we will be in a much better position as we move forward. So it's just good to, to meet you all and talk to you. And I look forward to getting kind of more into the substantive conversation as we move on. Hey, Kingsley. Yes, sir. I, I left out a part that just slipped my mind, but my number is 163-14-014, and that's a federal prison number. But I want people, and I tell people that come to me that you don't have to let your situation nor your location obscure your destiny. And that's what we instill in them. We all make mistakes. And Reverend Gaskin, who's the Reverend, can contest to this, that the sin is never about falling down. It's about getting up. So okay. we instill those kind of things. And so that's why I shared my number to let people know that things happen in life. But you can't never give up. And that's oh. what we build in our people that come to us. There's still hope for you. Kingsley thought that was your phone number. He was writing it down. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, it reminded me. <laughs> I was writing it down. It reminded me of um, you know, I work with Life Jennings and Life Jennings. Um, the name his album title was actually his prison number. Mm -hmm. you no, know, and I work with Life Jennings from day one. If you guys live in Bridgeport, if you remember. I brought Life Jennings to Seaside Park to That's perform. Right. And when uh, he had a song called Stick Up Kids from day one. Yep. So, um, yeah, that reminded me of Life Jennings. Um, and um, uh, just to get back to Reverend Gaston, um, I don't I don't think I think you also assist the Myra program, which is the mayor's initiative for reentry. Is that correct? Yes. So um, I helped to oversee uh, the Myra program, which is the mayor's uh, program on reentry affairs. Uh, Earl Bloodworth um, heads up the office, uh, but we do a lot of work helping um, returning citizens when they come back into the Bridgeport community. In fact, uh, we have over a thousand uh, folks who are coming out of the Department of Corrections each year uh, that come back to the city of Bridgeport and they are in need of a lot of services. And so uh, the Myra program helped to assist individuals before they transition out of jail or prison uh, to come back to the community so they can be met with uh, you know, whatever resources they need. I know housing, you know, is a is a huge issue uh, for folks. And we know that housing cuts across uh, racial demographics. It cuts across socioeconomic backgrounds that every single person uh, needs a roof over their head or deserve to have a roof over their head as a fundamental human right. And so what we do uh, with the Meyer program is help uh, to create those opportunities for people who don't have housing coming out to uh, get reoriented with housing, whether that's going back to live with a family member, uh, whether that is going to uh, live in a one bedroom studio apartment, uh, or whether that is helping to plug people into employment opportunities. Uh, we've had um, a pretty good success in terms of some of the business community working uh, in relationship and partnership with the Myra program. So that when people are getting out, 
of jail that they at least have some soft skills or some hard skills to be able to at least hit the job market so they can work to be able to at least afford uh, an apartment. I know that uh, we work closely with Career Resources and of course the Welcoming Center that uh, Councilman Newton helps to run, um, I think are very foundational uh, to the early progression of people being successful uh, once they're released uh, from prison. But one aspect that we have to focus more on, I think, as a city, uh, is the mental health aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, um, the uh, the trauma that comes with uh, being incarcerated mm -hmm. and then coming back into society when you've been locked away from society for so long. There are certain tools uh, that, that you need that yeah. I think that uh, need to be taught so that people can be successful and don't, you, uh, you know, recidivate. Hey, okay. Kendra, I also forgot to mention that we partnered with Recovery Network of Programs. And to, to, to back up what Reverend Gaskin, Senator Gaskin just said, when they come to us, we've done evaluation on them. So if they need help mentally, substance abuse problems, it's all built right here. So we've been able to get those people the kind of treatments they need because when you're in prison, I, I've been there, everybody's on some kind of meds. And, and they do that because they want to keep you mellow so you don't start no trouble in prison. And so everybody's like a walking zombie. So we have that here that we evaluate them to see if they have mental health issues. I want to you know, say this too, that Bridgeport's probably one of the first towns when I got back on the city council in 2017, we passed a resolution that 5% of the jobs have to go to ex-felons. But they had to be prepared. They had to go through some sort of training before they could get those jobs. And we have quite a few, Reverend Gaskin, working in our public works facility as we speak today, man. So we're getting there. Uh so um, let's try to keep our answers very brief. We have three topics to cover within this next 20 something plus minutes. All right. Um, so um, next up, we're going to talk to my sister, Sandra. Sandra, how do you pronounce your name? Is it Vining or, or Vining? Vining. Vining. Sen uh, Sandra Vining, can you reintroduce yourself? Because I know you've been working with Scott for a very long time. Oh, it's my pleasure. To, I, I didn't know I was going to be a part of the program. I was just trying to support and hopefully be able to add something if you did ask. And um, my job and position has always been in the community to work with anybody in need. Um, I opened a food pantry within Korea Resources in the Department of Labor. It's called Sandy's Pantry. Um, was also able to be involved with Stephanie's closet when Miss Stephanie was alive before she passed away. I retired. I'm 73 years old. Um, I went out for seven months. And when uh, Scott and Ernie started this program, they called me up and asked me to come back on board. So I'm kind of like the mother of the project. Uh, I'm able to really from a mother's perspective, be able to really touch these gentlemen and so a few ladies. Uh, we haven't had many ladies uh, because we do have the Lucy Bainey Center, which is doing wonderful work within the city. But I'm, I'm just grateful to be here. And I really just wanted to see the input and listen to what everyone on the program had to say. And I think the most important piece is it is we need to figure out housing situations when they come through the door. We've been lucky and blessed to be able to get beds for maybe I would say 95% of everyone that's came out. And we were able to house them. Uh, if it was only for a month, we would pay the uh, their rent for a month to try to get them. But you know, money doesn't last forever when you're trying to use it in a positive manner. So hopefully that they'll put some more funding into the fact that housing has always been a serious issue. That homeless problem is serious in the city of Bridgeport. 
as well as the substance abuse. So I, th I think the most important piece for me is seeing that these brothers and they don't they don't even know they have a mental health issue mm -hmm. because they haven't been a part of society for. I had a gentleman that was locked down for 27 years. He was a young man mm -hmm. when he went in, and th this young boy touched my heart so bad to um, me as a, a black woman to meet a brother that's trying to do the right thing and not even have a penny in his pocket. So I was able, along with Ernie, I put um, gift cards in their welcome bags, I'll show you. I hand out these bags and it starts them off with un underclothing, toothpaste, shampoo, all the basic little needs. Um, Reverend Gaskin's Myra program sent over about 50 bags of uh, personal hygiene mm -hmm. items that we was able to hand out. And they're so grateful. Right. So uh, I hope we continue to get funding. And I don't know, you know, being 73, I'm going to do my best to, to stick around to see the outcome. I want to see the outcome. Mm -hmm. So, And I look forward, and I have to say, Kingsley, uh, your daughter just adds a uh, spark to every single morning I get up and I see Curly Z. It just, it just touches my whole heart. I, I appreciate it, Sandra. And um, I, I did try to refrain from posting for a minute. And then one day you ask about Curly Z and um, <laughs> I decided to post a picture and you was like, you know what, she just made your day. And I'm, you know, I, I feel like there's so much negativity that goes on around the world. And for me personally, I have disciplined myself to cutting all the noise out because I have to bring this positive energy at home in order to keep a, a happy home and to have a, a healthy, happy baby. So people yeah. always ask, why is my, you know, Curly Z always happy? It's because, um, you know, I have to come home happy and I have to bring a positive energy home. So that is just the key for me and what works for me and why, you know, there's always a smile on Kelly Z's face because daddy's always smiling. Daddy's always, daddy's always dancing with her. And hey, uh, Reverend Gaston, she's ready to battle you on, um, um, what's the name, her favorite uh, artist? Uh, what was it? What was it? The karaoke song you were singing to? What was it again? Oh, I forgot that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, come on. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. I'm going to remember. Carol is gonna battle you. I'm just gonna let you know right now. <laughs> she will, and, you, and I'll tag you in on the video. She did it and on Christmas. She performed on, she performed on Christmas. Yeah, she did. What you call it, wagon? What was it? <laughs> something. Oh my goodness. Something wagon. What was it? Yes. Okay. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna talk we're gonna talk about that later on. Maybe I'll put her on and she's gonna battle her. <laughs> All right. So now that we finished on the. Now that we finished on the first place on the right, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, we re everybody introduce themselves. For me, um, you know, I run a program, Agents of Change, as the coordinator. Uh, my brother Shafiq is a retired um, uh, police officer. To be clear, so we well, are retired police sergeant, man. Retired police sergeant. Let me because I had to sue to get the the dog on. Bag, so good. Let, me put, <laughs> let me put respect on your, on your some title. No, no, just on the retirement part. No, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to make sure that we are locked and loaded and everybody yeah. on this show deserves to be on this show. And let me give a happy birthday shout out to my sister, um, um, to Shara Jackson. Yesterday was her birthday. Her birthday is always on uh, Valentine's Day. All right. So. I'm going to give um, um, you an opportunity to get a first question now, uh, Brother Shafiq. I just want to say this. One, you didn't say happy birthday to me. That's number one. But I'm going to let you go. Birthday, nope, bro, no, man. I'm going to let you go on that one. And number two, just as a note, if your birthday is on one date, one year, it's the same day every year, just to let you know. <laughs> Birthdays don't move. They don't move. You said I... You know, you was like, yo, I want to shout out to my girl whose birthday was yesterday. It's every time, bro. But I love you. I messed with him a little bit. Listen, yeah. I appreciate all y'all. I could talk long, but I'm not. Here's what I'm just going to preference today with our statement. All of y'all do great work. And Ernie, when I tell you, 
you have been a beacon of light for me as I have pursued my political career and all the things that I've done in, 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 in civil service, watching you grow your struggles, your challenges, your resilience and your triumphs. And I've seen and I've witnessed this on every time I've been in your space, the amount of love and compassion and support that people have for you. And I watched you do it in the streets of Bridgeport. And I just want to say, I appreciate you for that. I'm 56 okay. years old. I'm just getting started and doing what I'm doing, but I appreciate you for having done that work. But here's what I want to say today. All of you have said things like, um, you know, our people need more mental health. Uh, uh, Sister Sandra talked about the food and Brother Ernie, you talked about the welcoming center. I've got to a place now in my advocacy around police reform and, and, and social justice policy, 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 policy. We need policies in places because all of us collectively here, we're talking about the bottom of the barrel. Mm -hmm. All these things should already be addressed. Every, all this ARPA money that came into all of these metros around the state of Connecticut, mm -hmm. y'all should be saying, we've got so much money, we don't know what to do with it. And, and I've got five other Ernie's working in the welcoming center and, we're, and they're popped up in every neighborhood. And we opened up a city, wide uh, supermarket that's owned. We've got to move away from, um, like you said, Sister Sandra, we had some money to make get some beds, but when the money runs out, why? You know, because I'm seeing so many younger brothers homeless. And as a police officer, I remember those brothers on the block, all of them didn't go to jail. Some brothers, everybody didn't go to jail. Some brothers is just like, and it's like, that's my dude. I remember, and now they walking around with book bags in the daytime. I'm just going to leave it on that. I don't want to take up time. Thank you, King. Thank you. So we're going to talk about, talking about policy, that's why we got policymakers. And that's what was so important for me to have uh, my brother, Reverend Gaston, who was sent to, this, um, to the state to make sure that he does what he is so passionate um, about. So there was no way I was going to have this show without having him uh, on. But let's do the station ID, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about policy. What is he doing? to make the changes that is much needed from the state level all the way to the national level. This is the Urban Talk Radio 103.5 FM WNHHLP, your community radio. And I am your host, Kinsley Osei, and my co-host, Shafiq. And if you are just joining us today on Urban Talk Radio, you can join the conversation on Facebook at Bow Minds on Twitter and Bow Minds and Facebook page, my Facebook page, Kinsley O-S-E-I. We are also streaming through all platforms. You can also stream this show on your smartphone or computer by logging on to newhavenindependent.org. In the studio today, we have our brother, Reverend Gaston. We have Ernie Nguyen, Councilman Ernie Nguyen, and we have our sister, Sandra Vinings. Okay, so with that being said, Reverend Gaston, what are you doing on the state level to tackle prison uh, reform. And then we'll go into police brutality and then we'll finish off with gun violence. We got a very limited amount of time. Be brief and let's try to cover these three topics. Okay, I'll try to be as concise as possible. Um, I am also a part of the Judiciary Committee um, that's being spearheaded by uh, Steve Stashram uh, and uh, Gary Holder Winfield from uh, New Haven, who's already done a lot of work uh, in the state of Connecticut of addressing uh, some of the past ills. Um, and I know that uh, during the 1990s, there was a crime bill uh, that came out uh, uh, under Joe Biden, uh, as well as some of the other congressional folks that we see that fizzled to the top, where they were very tough on crime. Uh, and what we're noticing is that many of the folks that were charged during the 90s, uh, a lot of those charges uh, that people got, like the three strike, uh, you're out rule that they had in mm -hmm. California, and some of the um, policies that were in Connecticut as well, where we put people away for petty drug offenses. Uh, we're going back now and uh, clearing those folks' uh, records through uh, Clean Slate, which is huge uh, for the state of Connecticut. Um, uh, thousands of people have benefited from that um, already and are, are out in the community or in the process of uh, coming from DOC back into the community. So we have to right side that wrong. And I appreciate uh, the public policy on getting that right. Uh, right now, uh, we also are working uh, very diligently uh, on the uh, Judiciary Committee, as well as some of the other committees like public safety, uh, to address uh, issues of police brutality as well, helping to curate 
programs and opportunities in the community that works alongside police departments and nonprofit organizations to give them the resources and funding they need uh, to disrupt the pipeline of people going into uh, prison and creating free re uh, entry program opposed to creating re-entry programs. So we're trying to um, help people from going into the criminal justice system in the very first place. So there's a lot of seed money uh, that's going to be coming out um, as one of the governor's initiatives to address violence prevention. And uh, many communities like uh, Bridgeport, Waterbury, Stanford, uh, New Haven, some of our bigger cities are going to be uh, direct recipients of that. And I'm championing that. I've put forward several bills uh, in public safety uh, where I have the opportunity to chair that committee as well as in the judiciary. And I'm very optimistic about what that funding is actually going to do. And we're not looking at this to sort of be a one shoot kind of funding or something that will be codified into the budget uh, that will be cyclical and that communities will receive uh, each year. Um, I also uh, put in a bill uh, recently to address police brutality uh, kind of issue. Uh, and uh, that is Senate Bill 223, uh, which is an offshoot of the Alvin Penn racial profiling bill. Uh, Alvin Penn was a former uh, senator in the 23rd Senatorial District and sat in the seat that I currently occupy. Uh, and with this piece of legislation, essentially uh, what we're trying to do is to ensure that uh, police officers uh, uh, let the motorists know why they're being pulled over. So if you're being pulled over in a traffic stop um, in the state of Connecticut right now, officers don't have to tell you why uh, you're being pulled over. Uh, but with this piece of legislation, Senate Bill 223, uh, will require uh, law enforcement officials to tell the motorists why they're being pulled over uh, to create sort of a um, better relationship between uh, the police and the motorists at the very onset of the traffic stop. And we know that all too often uh, people of color and particularly black men are pulled over uh, at record uh, numbers across the country. But in the state of Connecticut, that holds true as well. And so uh, to de-escalate a situation before it escalates into something uh, more, uh, I'm putting that legislation in to at least begin to address uh, the, the issue around um, uh, policing. Uh, we also have another, a couple of other bills uh, uh, that we're uh, proposing as well uh, to uh, go into mental health and behavioral health uh, services for our communities. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you come from uh, areas like uh, Bridgeport, um, you know, or New Haven, Waterbury, and you see chronic uh, crime, uh, it does have an impact on you mentally, you know, um, from seeing poverty up close and personal. You know, some of our kids, uh, you know, have seen death or experienced it in their families very early on. They need those 30 therapeutic supports. And so we want to be able to put those supports in our school system as well. So there is a bill, House Bill 5003, that would help put more resources into our educational system uh, that would therefore allow our schools uh, to hire more social workers as well uh, to work uh, directly with our students and to give them the kind of support uh, that they need. Um, the, the issues are challenging. I mean, there's not just one issue. It's almost like peeling an onion. The deeper and deeper you dig, the more messier and multi-layered it is. But I do think that we have to take, um, you know, an approach where we're addressing different uh, issues. It's not just one thing. So uh, we got to address the police issue. While at the same time, we got to address the a violence prevention issue. We also have to address the uh, mental health issue and aspect of it. And we also got to drill it down into the families and the household as well uh, to work with parents and to work with guardians and caregivers. Um, so it's, it's a lot that we're trying to do, but there's a lot of resources, I think, this time around with our budget. Um, uh, we have a, a surplus in the state. And I think that uh, with the governor's uh, new budget, uh, some of these areas that I talked about and that are uh, very important to our communities are going to be addressed, um, hopefully. So, all right, I gotta just hit them one time, Kingsley, and then I'm the one. Here's, I love you, I love you, I love you. I want to start off with that. <laughs> However, none of those bills, I ain't heard nothing about getting more money in the hands and in the pockets and in the homes of Black, Hispanic, and Latino people. And that's all I just want to say, preface on that point, not taking away from the work. We keep doing this work on the back end. If we don't get more money in the homes, in our families, and give families the ability to choose their affordable housing, be able to pay for alternative schooling for people, 
we're going to keep having these situations. That's all I want to just say with that. But I'm, that, thank you for letting me just say hey, Shafiq, Shafiq, I hope I could, I hope I could beat you up for that because I feel like I'm the one on this show always fighting on Democrat platforms about how Democrats <laughs> are the ones that fight for people in our community. And I don't speak for everybody. I just speak for my community. While my community should vote the way they vote because I know who's fighting for them. I know when cops are shooting them in the back, I know who's fighting to make sure they bring them to justice. I know who's fighting for minimum wages. I know who's fighting for uh, for healthcare. I know all these causes. But somehow I find myself on this show arguing with people like, I don't know, I'm going to leave it on that note. But um, <laughs> Ernie, I'm gonna, Ernie, go ahead. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come. I don't I'm know what Kingsley just here, said, but it, it's it was me relevant. Against, it's me against everybody on this show. I'm gonna just, well, that should tell you well, something, I mean, Kingsley. I, I, you I, need I, to drink better coffee. If I, no, yes. if I can respond to you uh, quickly, I, 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 yes, I would please. like to do that. You know, I, I definitely agree. I mean, you know, some folks say, well, you know, Dr. King was, was, you know, died because he had a dream. Actually, he didn't die because he had a dream. He actually died because he was challenging economic. That's right. There you go. Let's talk about Black it. and brown people. And that's something that we've been fighting for, you know, for yeah. well over 50 something years, even more, uh, even longer uh, since the, uh, the death of, of Dr. King. And so I want to just posit that. But I also want to say that recently uh, there was a, a bill um, and it was a it was a really good concept uh, called the baby bonds. Uh, and the baby bonds essentially uh, would help level the economic playing field uh, for black and brown uh, kids in particular. Uh, it would give them, I believe, close to 20 something thousand dollars uh, by the time they're 18 years of age. And they can use that money for however they want to use that money, whether that is putting uh, that on a down payment for a home or whether uh, using that money for educational, vocational training or what have you, uh, but it would help them to uh, um, get into, uh, I believe, home ownership in order to build uh, what we like to call generational wealth. And I thought that was a really, really important piece and wrapped around in that was financial literacy. So it would teach them and help them to um, understand how to deal with a large amount of money and to deal with their resources. And uh, the governor uh, pushed back on that. Right. Uh, but there were uh, key people who were working on that. I know Sean Wooden, who was the right. former treasurer, and then now Eric Russell uh, was pushing it. We had a lot of other black and brown uh, legislators who were pushing this. Uh, but unfortunately, it doesn't seem like it's gotten out of the gate as of yet, but we it must keep on pushing. So there are people trying to do the heavy lifting. Yeah. Ernie, brother Ernie, come in, please. Yeah, let me just say this. The best thing that ever happened to stop police brutality was them video on, you know, that they wear the camcorders. That was the best thing that ever happened to the police department. Why? Because now in due time, you get to watch what happened. You take the incident, young man that just got killed. Had it not been for a camcorder, on your, you know, the police wearing them, they would have gotten away with it. So that's one step that I thought was in the right direction by making the police officers wear those um, recorders. Now listen, you all and I know far too long that we've had police brutality for a long time. But at least now you see something starting to change because cameras don't, you know, it's on camera. You can't lie about that. And the, the, the good thing is that I wish I was in the Senate when we had a billion dollar budget, a surplus, because now's the time to invest in those things that need to be invested in. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that the legislature and the governor, we had a big press conference today for reentry. If you're going to close prisons, you should take some of that money and put it into the programs, whether it's housing, whether it's creating jobs, to help the people that you're letting out. So I, I, I see a little brighter things happening, but we can't legislate morality 
Love. I wish we could write a bill that could do that. But we can't. Well, so then we'll, we'll get there. Um, and I just hope Senator Gaskin keeps fighting with the delegation that we got a billion dollar surplus. We need to spend some of those dollars into some of the things that we're having problems with here in the city of Bridgeport and throughout the state. We, we should have, you know, here's my thing, right? We should have a program that when people are coming out of prison, they come out with a trade. We already know that the, right now the Department of Corrections is actually the largest graduators of GEDs, of high school diplomas in the entire state of Connecticut. They are the largest facility that it gives out the most. Not our high schools, not our adult eds, yeah. it's the prison. So if prison, if school is already being set up in many cases to be a school to prison pipeline, then the release of prison should guarantee you housing or the ability to get housing by having a trade and a job. So I go to prison, I come out, I go to jail, I come out, I'm a certified CNA. I'm a certified um, laborer. I'm a certified carpenter. And I go right into a carpentry job. But just saying, you know, my thing, my, I guess my frustration is just saying we need jobs for people. We need beds for people. We, we have to be very specific because the problem is very specific to people. Black men are getting killed. Black men are going to jail and black men are being homeless. And black men then become this new poster for the rest of Connecticut that other people that are not black start to fear and worry about. And, and that, that's all I'm, you know, I, I'm no, gonna I, I, I appreciate your, your point of view. I do know, and I say this all the time, it's cheaper to send someone to uh, Yale than to send them to jail. I mean, in terms of the amount of money that we spend to house and warehouse people uh, in, in jails. But I know that uh, Wesleyan University uh, does a good job in terms of uh, putting education into the uh, prison system to yeah. give people uh, degrees sometime before they get out yeah. or trades. Um, I also know that Yale University, uh, uh, me being a student uh, from Yale, they've done a lot of work uh, in the law school uh, to to uh, create uh, legal opportunities uh, for people as well, helping them process paperwork or helping them to get their birth certificates before they get out, helping them you know, secure driver's license, et cetera. You even have places like uh, University of Bridgeport that has an advanced manufacturing program uh, with Pear College, and they help to provide opportunities for people uh, as well to, uh, to, to get jobs, not just jobs, but meaningful jobs to make a meaningful right, wage. Right. I mean, I, I've heard great testimonies from Black men and Latino men uh, who have gone through the University of Bridgeport's advanced manufacturing program or entrepreneurial program, and they've won grants uh, mm -hmm. to be able to start their own businesses, et cetera. So these are the kinds of things that um, I think we need to continue to make investments mm -hmm. in and smart investments. So to hey, your point. Kins, Kins, uh, wait, wait, one second, one second, let me come in one second. I actually, um, this show came along because I sent an article to um, Brother Shafiq. I don't think he read it. I sent it to uh, Reverend <laughs> Gaston. Uh, Reverend Gaston, he told me he read it. It was about a, a, a female friend that I work with at Lau Records. Her father's name is Bill Underwood. He worked in the music industry and he did 33 years in jail. He came out and he's got a program called The Next First Step. Um, Joe, he had an article, an opinion, and it was called Joe Biden hasn't kept his promise to reduce the prison population. I was actually trying to get him on this show along with you two. And um, his daughter wasn't able to um, confirm that because I guess they've been very busy. However, I'm going to read two paragraphs and I'm going to need a response to that. It said federal prison imprisoned 25,000 people in 1980. Today, they imprison more than six times that, nearly 160,000 people. Fortunately, today's count does represent a 27% reduction from 2013 when the population was at its peak of 219 people. In the past decade of legislative reforms and policy changes amplified during the early pandemic have downsized federal prisons, but in the absence of new reforms by Congress and bold action by the administration, the federal prison population has grown again for the past two years. Um, 
Brother Gaston, and then uh, Ernie Nguyen, how do you respond to this? Well, I'll be brief. I mean, if you look at America's population uh, relative to uh, bigger populations around the world, America uh, puts more of its people away than any other nation in the world. And I think there's this federalization of mass incarceration that's been fueled um, as a result of the systemic racism in our country. We got to look back at the 1829 practices and principles of policing. There's two different systems, a system for blacks, there's a system for white. We got to look at the inception of how police departments started in the first place. And it started to basically patrol uh, the slaves and patrol black men. And so we have this federalization of black men being institutionalized uh, in our country. And I think that it is the new Jim Crow. Uh, it is now the new Jane Crow. It just keeps changing outfits from generation to generation. So as the uh, population expands, and uh, more black and brown people there are, the criminal justice system continues to serve as a browning magnet. It's doing precisely what it was designed to do, and that is to ensnare our black and brown population. And it's a new uh, invisible slavery kind of institution that we must disrupt. So to his point, he's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. It's continuing to grow mm -hmm. and it's continuing to expand. And until we are able to really reckon with the original sin of the United States, and that is racism, um, we're never going to go anywhere. So we have to have a very honest conversation around that. And I think, unfortunately, America has been weak-willed uh, in our ability to have that discussion and to really make the kinds of systemic changes that we need to make. We need a heart change. And as, uh, as Councilman Newton said, you know, I wish we could legislate people's heart. I That's wish right. we could legislate their mind. Unfortunately, we can't. And until we see human beings as human beings being made in the precious image of God and that we're not separated based on race, um, I think we're going to continue to have the same problem. And and I, two, two minutes, please. Two minutes. Kinsley, you got it's policies that have to be changed. Yes. Bring about how much time black brothers and sisters got for crack cocaine compared to white folk with powder cocaine. And when you look at the laws, they all were designed to give our people more time than what they give our white counterparts. And, and let me tell you something. You can elect anybody you want to office, but unless they have a heart for the people, this should be a no-brainer for the government to say, you know what? We're going to invest some of these dollars in, in, into some of these urban areas so that they don't have to go back to prison. And the will has to be there in order for that to happen. So everybody should be on the phones, calling the governor saying, listen, the same things you all are talking about. This is what we need in urban America. And I think that's the only way you can do it. Shafiq, one minute. Last word, please. And I'm, I'm frustrated. So I'm just trying to handle my frustration with it. But the reality is this, and, and Brother Gaskin said it, but I'll go deeper. Um, incarceration for African-Americans in America started not as technically slave patrols. It was part of the uh, a side effect of reconstruction. When, when Africans were freed, they made sure that they were incarcerated during harvest time, so that during the time of the harvest, the slave masters could then take those incarcerated individuals, put them back in the field and have them actually work for free so that they re could re get a return on the profit margin. And that happened over and over and over again until the Great Migration. And then we got civil rights for the second time in 1965. So this whole incarceration thing is about making a new lower class. And that's exactly what it has done. I agree. But continue to do that until we start releasing people with job skills that can guarantee them to have the skills that pay the bills. I got that one from you, Ernie. All right, and listen, I got, Kendra, I got an emergency. I got to run downstairs. We are done, we are, we are, we are done. So um, done, this, done this conversation is to be continued because we yeah, really, love you didn't, guys, man. We really <laughs> didn't go into police brutality like we were supposed to. So I would like to invite you guys back, but before you leave, let us know how you can be uh, contacted, um, Reverend Gaston. If you need support to get any um, policies passed, how can your office be reached? Absolutely. Please reach out to me. Uh, my email address is heron, H-E-R-R-O-N, dot Gaston, 
D-A-S-T-O-N at uh, cga.ct.gov. Please reach out to me. Um, I would love your support on, on a lot of pieces of legislation that's out there. I would ask that you please track this legislation, you know, by going to the CGA website, State of Connecticut's website, General Assembly, and you'll be able to see a list of bills that is impacting the black and brown agenda. Please follow those closely. And if you can offer a testimony, either written testimony or coming to a public hearing, your voice will go a long way in helping to get the message out there, what we need to do to empower our communities. Well, in my testimony, I know you just passed the uh, free lunch program, and um, I'm, I'm appreciative um, of that. All right, er, Brother Ernie, uh, real quick, how can you be reached? Um, just reach me at newtonetcareerresources.org. Awesome. Well, um, you know, these brothers right, um, right here, you know, um, I am an accountability partner to them, and I hope it's vice versa. You know, I reach out to them on their phone. If I see something on social media that I think is not correct, Reverend Gasset is a very good listener. You know, I give him a phone call. I'm like, brother, this is not right. This got to be changed. This is not. I do the same thing to Ernie, uh, brother Ernie um, as well. Even my brother Shafiq as well. And I hope it's vice versa. You guys see me acting a fool or something I post that is not acceptable to my community. Please feel free because we don't want to be surrounded by yes men. It's called accountability. Yeah. All right. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you. Senators, let's get connected through Kingsley. We need to. All, All right, right, brother. Happy birthday. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Ernie. Much love, y'all. Love you more.